0: Listen to esoteric explorers at Radio Lila as they discuss wisdom traditions from East and West, unravel spirituality in everyday life, and discover treasure troves of mystical ideas and dogmas. Sharp and fresh, in search of spiritual riches, welcome to Radio Lila.
1: Hello everyone, I am Marlene and this is our first ever English edition. Uh, Radio Lila is a Dutch channel, so we are clearly not native English speakers. We are very honoured today to have Swami Suni Malananda as our guest in today's show. He is a monk in the order of Ramakrishna and the president of the Ramakrishna Vedanta Vereniging Nederland in Hogersmilde, Drenthe. Welcome, Swami.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, we are welcome. Um, The Vedanta Society is a non-profit and non-sectarian spiritual movement that is founded and inspired by Sri Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda and it, uh, it has the religious philosophy known as Vedanta. Uh, Swami, to start off with, what is your definition of Vedanta?
2: Vedanta is like science. It encompasses everything. The word science includes everything we can think of, social sciences, medicine, art, literature. Similarly, Vedanta is an all-encompassing word. However, the word Veda means knowledge. The culmination of all knowledge is Vedanta. What is the culmination of all knowledge? That knowledge which brings us the highest good. So Vedanta, in whatever sense it might be, is that which brings us the highest good. This is the idea.
1: Okay. Wow. So it's, it's a whole, uh, yeah, it's a very big, um, uh, thing you <laughs> you're talking yes. about. So almost everything we're talking about now. Yes. Uh, according to uh, Vedanta, we are all potentially divine and, and our goal is to manifest that divinity. How is that so?
2: Yes. This definition of Vedanta was given by Swami Vivekananda. As you have said rightly, Each soul is potentially divine and the goal is to manifest this divinity. This is the fundamental concept of Vedanta or of religion itself, any religion. Even when you speak of Christianity, Christ says the kingdom of heaven is within you. If the kingdom of God is within me, there should be God also. That means I am divine. This is the idea. So the question is how to manifest this divinity. That is the practical aspect. For this, Vedanta does not say that you must follow any one particular path. That is not possible. All human beings cannot fit into a single code. So, or yes. So what we do is each one of us, depending upon our mental constitution and tendencies, will choose whatever path we like. There are several paths and broadly classified are four paths called Yogas. These four Yogas means paths, lead us to know that inner divinity which we are. Why are we called inner divinities? The thing is, divinity is there within us. We are that, we have not manifested it. Therefore, we call it, it is hidden. So once the divinity becomes or begins to manifest itself, all that is good will come, glory will come, success will come, everything will come. This is the idea.
1: Wow. Um, and what is meant with, by Advaita? Uh, and, and can you tell us something about the relationship between this Advaita and Vedanta?
2: Very good. Thank you. Vedanta, as I said, is like science, it encompasses everything, starting from material sciences to shipbuilding, to the Atman sciences, everything is Vedanta, the culmination of all knowledge. Now this Vedanta also teaches us how to attain the ultimate or the highest good, there comes the question of Advaita Vedanta. Generally. There is some confusion that Advaita is different, Vedanta is different and so on. Actually yes, Advaita means that non-divisible oneness which is the fundamental basic element of everything, which is called Brahman in Sanskrit. Brahman is not God, Brahman means vast, infinite, that is consciousness. So everything is fundamentally consciousness. In this consciousness, due to some confusion, we see multiplicity. (laughs) Advaita Advaita means to see that unity. This is the goal of Advaita. So what is Advaita? Advaita means that unique oneness, which appears as multiplicity, should be perceived, whether within us or outside us, it's all the same. So Advaita means oneness, that supreme consciousness.
1: It's like the ultimate reality.
2: Yes. Okay.
1: And and Advaita is then the way of looking at this reality. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, as I understood... um, Let's go back in time. Uh, Sri Ramakrishna, he started off as a a very devoted Vaishnava, uh, a bhakti who worshipped Kali, the divine mother, uh, among others. And and he also studied the six uh, orthodox Hindu philosophies. Uh, Then he got a teacher, Totapuri, who introduced him to Advaita Vedanta. And then now I quote from the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. uh, By keeping his mind six months on the plane of the non-dual Brahman, he, so Sri Ramakrishna, had attained the state of Vijayani, the knower of truth, end quote. Could you say that it was not before the more abstract thinking of the Advaita Vedanta he got this state of Self-realization.
2: Yes. Sri Ramakrishna should not be considered as a personality or a person. He was a laboratory. Okay. His spiritual seeking started from his very childhood. So he started his seeking with the question whether there is a God or a reality. And that continued till he came to Calcutta. In Calcutta, when he was in the Dakshineshwar temple as a worshipper of Mother Kali, that was his duty also, hmm. then started his intense aspiration. If there is a divine mother or God, let me have the vision. He was about to give up his body. He said, I will cut off my head if necessary. I don't want his body. <laughs> like wow! Okay. At that moment, he had that supreme realization of the divine mother. Subsequently, he started practicing all the dualistic paths, like, what is the next path? He thought, oh, there is Rama, let me see him. In this way, he went on. And then, as you have wonderfully stated, everything very clearly, Totapuri appeared on the scene. Totapuri was an Advaita aspirant. He had attained illumination after 40 years of spiritual practices. So when he came, Sri Ramakrishna said, okay, I shall study Advaita Vedanta under you. Seeing his physical appearance, Totapuri understood that here was a personality who was ready for Advaita Vedanta. But Sri Ramakrishna said, let me ask the Divine Mother. He used to go to the Divine Mother as if she was his own mother and ask whether I should continue the study. She said, yes, and he said, yes, I'm ready. But for that, he had to renounce everything Thothapuri said, you must become a monk. He said, okay. <laughs> then he said, now sit in meditation. Because you are a ready aspirant, you need not undergo the rituals or the initial stages like inner purification, etc. You are ready. So sit in meditation. When the moment he sat in meditation, Sri Ramakrishna still had the images coming before his mind, concentrated, because he had meditated on the forms all through his this thing. Totapari said, No, no, go further. And he pierced Sri Ramakrishna's forehead and said, Now concentrate here. And then he entered into that highest state of Samadhi. That is the Nirvikalpa Samadhi state. In that state, there is no duality, only that non-duality. He remained in this Nirvikalpa Samadhi state for six months. That is the highest Advaita state. That's so amazing. for Ramak, yes, for Ramakrishna. This Advaita was not just a philosophy or a theory, it was practical reality. That is the reality. So he attained to that state of. With great difficulty, they had to almost strike him with the bamboo and (laughs) put some food into his mouth to keep the body alive. For six months, he was in that intensest samadhi.
1: Yeah, they had to save I, him by by yes. uh, throwing uh, food yes. in his throat i think <laughs> oh yes. my god yeah yes. amazing this is that, uh, was how we,
2: that was how we practiced advaita and proved that advaita is the highest state because yeah. that is oneness well, why is it the highest state because until there is two there is fear there is conflict yeah. once there is one there is no more fear yeah. therefore that is the highest ideal. Advaita is the highest.
1: But Sri Ramakrishna was in his days; he was like a, re- a religious chameleon. So even after he found this realization, he remained curious. So he looked into the Tantra scriptures. He practiced Islamic prayers. He uh, felt how Christ possessed his soul. He acknowledged Buddha. He respected the Tirthankaras of Jainism as well as the gurus of Sikhism. So what was the reason he did such an extensive religious research afterwards? Even he got his self-realization
2: remarkable question, really wonderful. You have studied very thoroughly. (laughs) Thank you. The question comes to everybody. Suppose I have seen the ocean, suppose I have seen the mountain, or say I have seen Amsterdam, can I say I haven't seen Amsterdam or not seen the ocean? How can this be possible? Hmm. Here, in the case of Sri Ramakrishna, he experienced God or the reality through the path of devotion. First, Then there was that intense curiosity. He was not like the ordinary. His aspiration was too intense. Suppose we are told that we have to jump into this lake, it is about 50 feet or 50 yards deep. You must jump in. People think, what about our family? What will happen to me? He was told to jump and he would jump straight away. So right. when it came to spiritual practices also, somebody would tell him, see, there is a path called this, this thing, and you can attain God through this path. He said, I will practice that path. And he would do that. In this way, he practiced all the paths to test The truthfulness of those paths, one, secondly, out of his intense aspiration for God, to taste God through diverse ways, that is allowed. He was not saying that he did not know God. He had seen God intensely, more intensely, but that continued. So in this way, day after day, newer aspirations, awakened in his soul and he attained to all of these, uh, to the reality through all these paths. Therefore, he could say in the end that as many ways, so many paths all lead to the same divinity. This he declared. Now, as you asked, the wonderful question is, why did he do that? Number one, out of his intense aspiration, yearning to know God. The second thing is to establish dharma, on this earth because practicality was lost. There was theory. People had theories and there was one or two here and there attaining illumination. But on the whole, this universal aspect of Dharma or religion had to be established on firm grounds based on experience. So he became a human laboratory. One more thing he did was there were certain paths which had certain negative aspects. For example, you mentioned Tantra. Generally, the connotation of Tantra means something bad, etc. Tantra has certain aspects which may be called negative, but that was not what Sri Ramakrishna wanted. Mm. He practiced that Tantra which sees the Divine Mother in everything, the Mother aspect of the Divinity this idea. So therefore, he worshiped the Divine Mother, even worshiped his own wife as the Divine Mother. And in this way, he could see the Divine Mother in all existence. That is what is called seeing consciousness in everything from the Advaitic viewpoint. So he unified all these paths through different practices. This is the idea.
1: Yes, very thoroughly. (laughs) Very. (laughs) Uh, But what made him settle for Advaita Vedanta in the end, do you think?
2: In fact, he did not. He attained to the highest state through Advaita and said something more. You mentioned Vijnana also. Do you remember in the initial stages? So, this is what he said. Suppose there is a mountain. You climb up the mountain stand on the top of the mountain and climb down from the other side of the mountain. Right. So you start from here and go that side. He said, I started with different paths, came to the highest stage of oneness of Advaita on the peak. Now I go down from the other side. Now, here, when I'm going down, I'm not the same person as before. Here, I'm an illumined person going down. This is the Vijnani state. Here, he will see both duality and reality. So he did not settle down for Advaita. He said that all the paths are different stages. One of the mistakes we generally do is, suppose we have graduated from the university. We generally think that what we studied in our school, etc., are all less or all useless. No, they are also important. We studied them, therefore, we could enter the university and get graduation. Similarly, the so called lower stages of seeing duality, etc., also are real because they are necessary. There are different types of people, different personalities. So, therefore, Sri Ramakrishna said that all are real but they are like stages duality is one stage the mm-hmm. next higher stage is qualified dualism and advaita is the highest stage where there is unity but still further there is the Vijnana stage where you see both duality and non-duality together
1: oh, okay yes. uh, well let's just go then to swami Vivekananda. he was uh shri Ramakrishna's main disciple, and he went to the United States where he introduced Hinduism and founded the Vedanta Society of New York in 1894. Well, in his books, he wrote about four yogas, you earlier uh, mentioned it, as in Bhakti, the yoga of devotion, Gnana, wisdom, karma yoga, daily practice, and Raja, the yoga sutras, uh, as the four ways. So why did he choose these four paths? And why didn't he just pick one of them?
2: Excellent question. As I said, the entire humanity, human race, can be classified spiritually into four broad groups. This has been done since the very beginning of this spiritual seeking. Suppose there are some people who are emotional by nature, They love singing, music, worship, etc. For them, the path is devotion. They don't appreciate hard work, selfless service, and Mm. uh, say meditation, etc. They cannot meditate. Mm. There are others who don't like all these rituals, etc. They want to meditate, sit in meditation. They are the yogis, yoga type. Then there are eight others who think rationally, who will discuss Brahman, who will like to... Just contemplate on such higher ideas rather than doing emotional worship, tears, etc. That part is the jnana part. And there is one more class which doesn't even believe in God, maybe, does not like it, but would like to do good to others. Let us serve, let us serve. They want to work. Right. So in this way, there are four time broad classes. You can put all of humanity into these four broad classes. These are called four paths. So, Vivekananda when he was in the United States, spoke about this Raja Yoga, as you said, taught meditation, then Jnana Yoga, wonderful book on Jnana Yoga, he has written, Mm -hmm. then there was this Bhakti Yoga. In every path, he was a master. He told everything that has to be told through these four paths to the whole of humanity. Now it's for us to choose, and then this thing, as you quoted this, each soul is potentially divine. Quotation from Swami mm-hmm. Vivekananda. He says towards the end, books, churches, etc., or all secondary details, do it either by one or two or all of these paths and become free. This is the goal. So we sometimes may feel attracted to worship, et cetera, singing, devotional songs, etc. Sometimes we may feel like meditating all are okay, we can choose all the paths or one, ultimately, we have to create our own yoga, our own path. This is what Vivekananda insisted upon. That means, each one of us thinks of God in one way, your idea of God is something Your idea of this world is something. Mm. Your idea of yourself is something because you have certain experiences. If I say this world is full of misery, you will say, no, I did not have such an experience. For me, this world is full of joy. So you can create your own philosophy, your own yoga. For you, God could be something different. There is a wonderful story, if you can kindly, one minute. This story is beautiful. There was a gentleman in Brindavan, He used to move about as if he was something different. Others used to see him. He doesn't come for any kirtan, any worship, etc. He moves about as if he is something different. One day, somebody asked himself, what do you do? We don't see you anywhere in all these devotional circles. What do you do? He said, you see, since the last 10 or 12 years, I thought, I must do something different. I have been a teacher in the past. I thought, People worship God as as if he is their child, as if he is their father or mother, etc. I thought, why not worship him as if God is my student?
3: This Ah. is a strange
2: idea. I thought, oh, we will do that. So what I do is in my room, I take a book and think as if God as Krishna is sitting in front of me as a student and I teach him. First I did the Gita, Bhagavad Gita, then the Upanishads. I go on teaching. I feel tremendous satisfaction through that. So his path was that. He wow, chose his own yeah, path. Yeah. All of us can do choose our own paths. This is the freedom that Vedanta gives to us.
1: That's so interesting. Yes. Um, well, the motto of the organization as formulated by Swami Vivekananda is also for one's own salvation and for the welfare of the world. Can you explain a bit what that means?
2: Yes. Thank you very much. Very good question again. So he, each one of us have come here with a purpose. When we join the organization, say the Ramakrishna movement, etc., there we have to work, we have to meditate and so on. Is it a self-centered, this thing? No. So therefore, Vivekananda said in Sanskrit, we do both. Both ideals should be there. One complements the other. So if you are working for others, you are automatically working for yourself. Doing good to others, why? The first fundamental question, why should we do good to others? Is it just a social thing? No, everybody is one. Essentially, we are that one. Advaitic oneness is there. So therefore, we do good to others. So when this idea comes, Right. When I am doing good yeah. to others, it is me alone whom I am saving. So therefore, one more thing that Swami Vivekananda insisted was nobody is waiting for you, to, for your charity. Right. If God yeah. wills, he will take care of everybody. You have been given an opportunity, humbly do it so that you can improve.
1: Right, yeah. That's tight. Yeah. Well, Vivian Kenanda's also said my, my mission in life is to preach to humanity their inner divinity and how to make it manifest like in every movement of life so one of the ideals of your organization is to to work as worship emphasizing on the role of the householder as as you could say in karma yoga obviously we we can't all be sannyasins monks or nuns so how can we practice this in our daily life and and how does the Ramakrishna Mission execute this work as worship?
2: Thank you. The Ramakrishna Mission has two sister organizations called Mutt and Mission. Both have the same ideals, but different uh, uh, leadership sort of, but both are under the same group. That means the same group of trustees take care of everything. But the ideals are the Mutt part, matha or Ashram part, Takes care of worship, it's a ritualistic part, publication of books, spreading of knowledge, etc. The mission part takes care of the service, this idea.
1: Right.
2: Everywhere there are hundreds of schools, colleges, universities, institutions, and relief activities, all these go on under the mission activities. Thing. So there are thousands of householders who are busy with their own life, with their families, who can spend some time helping others through using these channels. So that way the Ramakrishna mission gives an opportunity, provides an opportunity for people to serve. Along with that, the ideal is very clear. You work in your house or in your office serving a master, but that master need not be a human being, but God himself. When you change that master, when you serve him, If your ideal is to serve that master, then your ordinary work will become worship. So the same work that you have been doing will be transformed into worship. And soon the difference or bifurcation between work and worship, etc., will go away. Everything will be one. And that is the idea.
1: Yeah, it seems he made no distinction between secularity and spirituality
2: almost. Yes, no it's... difference at all. In the end, everything is one. That's the wow. idea. Initially, yeah. we begin with I am different, this is different, right. etc. Yeah. Gradually, we develop oneness mm-hmm. comes.
1: Uh, what now something completely different. The Vedanta Society of New York has a very active YouTube channel and I've been following the Bhagavad Gita classes of uh, Swami, Sava Priyananda, for over a year now. They're really great. Uh, could you tell something about a different text you can study in Vedanta class?
2: Yes. As you have started, Bhagavad Gita is perhaps the best concise textbook of Vedanta. There, everything is there. All the yogas are there. Everything is there. Hmm. That is the complete distinct. Then there are certain books called Prakarana Granthas. These Prakarana Granthas mean concise texts about each path of Vedanta, like Advaita Vedanta. There is a book called Vedanta Sara, Essence of Vedanta. That's a small book and that can be studied that will give us a clear idea of what Advaita Vedanta is, how a student should continue his studies, etc. So each part has such books: Vedanta Su Sara, Vedanta Paribhasha, all these are small texts. Then there is the famous book called Viveka Chudamani, which is studied very much everywhere. That is also an Advaitic text. In this way, there are several books, but the main texts are the Bhagavad Gita the Upanishads and the Brahma Sutra. If you can choose any of the Upanishads, contemplate on that on the mantras in the Upanishads, that itself is a great study.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. So we, we can start off with that. Well, in yes. the in the Upanishads, it's said that Tattvam uh, Asi, which means that thou art. So in traditional Vedanta, it is said that you are Brahman. And earlier we, are, uh, we were talking about our potential uh, divinity. Does the Ramakrishna Advaita Vedanta differ from traditional Vedanta in any way? And uh, if so, how different is it from, let's say Shankara's classic interpretation?
2: Very good question. There cannot be any difference at all because consciousness <laughs> or reality is one and it is that reality which is being spoken of, whether it is by Shankaracharya or by Sri Ramakrishna. Shankaracharya defined this illusion or whatever we call it as Maya, etc. is only in this as this much. This is the Sanskrit part. This was the definition he gave to what we are seeing and experiencing daily. We must go beyond this to attain the consciousness. The same thing was spoken of by Sri Ramakrishna also and Vivekananda, that this multiplicity is okay. This is not bad. It, okay. But only thing is go beyond that. This is not the end. Things are changing. That which is anitya is asatya. That which is impermanent is not to be held on to constantly. There is something permanent. You are the essence. Hold on to that. So therefore, there is no difference. The Advaita is the same. Sri Ramakrishna only says go beyond, go further, go further. The
1: yeah, yeah. state. That idea. Yeah, oh yeah, that that sounds good. Well, on one occasion in America, Swami Vivekananda said, and I quote, I do not come to convert you to a new belief. I want you to keep your own belief. I want to make the Methodist a better Methodist, the Presbyterian a better Presbyterian, the Unitarian a better Unitarian. I want to teach you to live the truth, to reveal the light within your own soul. End quote. So what is your view on this? Do you think this is possible?
2: Definitely possible, because (laughs) we cannot make a religion which everyone can accept. As I said, one Yas for entire humanity is impossible. Each one is of a different body, different size, different mentality, etc. So therefore, there will be different religions. Dharma is one, religions are another. So therefore, Dharma, that eternal Dharma, which teaches us the goal is there, which will awaken that spiritual aspiration in different aspirants, whether Presbyterian or whoever, and they will continue. The only change should be, Never condemn others. Right, other spiritual paths. That is the idea. All are going towards God. Let us go towards God. That's that.
1: So everybody goes his own way. Actually, yes. yeah. Well, I think this has been very um enlightening. Our, our whole con- conversation. Thank you very much for being our guest, uh, Swami Suneel Manananda. For listeners who want to know more about the Ramakrishna Vedanta Vereniging Nederland, we will put a few links in the description of this podcast. Thanks for listening and um, till the next one. Thank you very much. Thank
2: you.
0: Thank you. And now... Jose van der Loops' yoga philosophy takes you on a journey into the wisdom of ancient Indian traditions.
3: Life and teachings of Swami Vivekananda. At first I wish to tell you that I am not a native speaker. But let me tell you about Swami Vivekananda. He was born as Narendranath in Calcutta on January 12th in the year 1863. His parents were Bhuveshnawari, Devi and Vishnavadatta. His father was an attorney-at-law at the Calcutta High Court. In 1881, as a young student at the Scottish Church College, Narendranath first met the great saint and mystic Sri Ramakrishna. Young Naren, as he was called, was seeking God, And whichever holy man he met, Naran asked him if he had seen God. The answer in most cases was negative, but when he asked Sri Ramakrishna the same question, he said that he had seen God, just as clearly as he saw Him, or probably even better. He added that there were means to realize God and if Naran followed Him, he too would do the same. It was the authenticity in his promise of direct experience of God that appealed to the intensely rational Narendranath. And he was really moved to see the all-encompassing love of Sri Ramakrishna. Eventually, Narendranath accepted Sri Ramakrishna as his spiritual master. The holy man was in many ways from quite a different background than, than Narendra, yet Narendranath was drawn to him. On one hand, Ramakrishna seemed to be a madman and a monomaniac as he danced in ecstasy before the goddess, goddess Kali, feeding her statue rise from the altar. The Indian mystic Sri. Sri Ananda Mahi Ma called him, therefore, the master of ecstasy. Ramakrishna radiated a holy atmosphere unlike anyth- anything Narendranath had experienced elsewhere. The more Narendranath saw him, the more he saw an extraordinary holiness and a most uncommon sanity. As their relationship grew, Narendranath was convinced by the ideals of renunciation – the concept that the only important thing in life was to realize God. After Ramakrishna died, Narendra took the vows of a monk and became Swami Vivekananda. He organized some of his brother, disciples and together they all took the vow of sannyas – renunciation and monkhood. In December, 1886, they lived in a temporary monastic premise in Calcutta. For two years Vivekananda wandered throughout India, growing spiritually spiritually and experiencing many hardships. He saw the great poverty of India and pondered deeply the role of religion and the suffering of the masses. He impressed great kings with his wisdom, yet learned wisdom during his moments with the lowly of society. It was during this two-year journey that he became convinced about two things related to India. First, the masses were living in abject poverty, and unless something was done for their advancement, there was no hope for India, and second, Religion was the backbone of Indian civilization. And after having seen the plight of the poor in India in December 1892, he sat in meditation on a rock in Kanyakumari and received a spiritual vision. He saw a resplendent future of India, and he had an action plan. Renunciation and service were the twin ideals of India, According to Vivekananda, any attempt at national regeneration in this land should take place keeping in mind these ideals. At the same time, Vivekananda had realized that the God preached by Hinduism is the divinity present in man. At Kanyakumari, spiritualism and patriotism fused together to produce Vivekananda's ideal of service in God in man. He also realized that the time had come when no part of the world could prosper in an isolated manner. Hence, the uplift of India and the progress of the whole world were directly related to each other. During these days, as a wandering monk, he had heard about the forthcoming World's Parliament of Religions, which was to take place in Chicago in America. Some of his disciples and followers, especially the Raja of Ramnath, had the opinion that he should attend the parliament and Vivekananda was convinced convinced that he should do the same. His disciples raised funds for his journey to the West and the Raja of Ketri also supported to facilitate his journey. The parliament of the world's religions, religions was created to cultivate harmony among the world's religious and spiritual communities and foster their engagement with the world and its guiding institutions in order to achieve a just, peaceful and sustainable world. This event is held every three, four years. And in in 2015, I was there myself in Salt Lake City, 18 different religions were there. Thousands of people were there. It was really great to be there. On September 11, 1893, Swami Vivekananda attended the parliament as a delegate to speak. Nervous at first, of course, it's a big conference. Swami Vivekananda spoke at the parliament and people were flocked to hear him. Although certain Christian missionaries were amazed How could they collect money for converting the heathens in India when such a dynamic speaker existed? The New York Herald called him undoubtedly the greatest figure of the Parliament of Religions. And after hearing him, we feel foolish, they said, to send missionaries to this learned nation. After the Parliament, the Swami traveled uh, throughout the United States and England lecturing and giving the Western world his best teachings on Vedanta, the teachings that seemed customized for the particular particular needs of the Western mind. After four years, Swami Vivekananda finally returned to India, and he was welcomed as a hero. Here he was able to put many of his ideas in practice, such as service to the poor, education, hospitals, and relief in times of disaster. A major day came in 1899 when the permanent headquarters of his brother monks, called the Ramakrishna order, was consecrated. Swami Vivekananda is well known because of his many books. His first book on yoga, of meditation, Was assembled and published as Raja Yoga. After the Bhagavad Gita, it was probably Vivekananda who synthesized the different yogas, the means of spiritual realization. According to him, the four yogas, Jnana, Bhakti, Raja, and Karma, are different means for realizing the same spiritual goal. Jnana Yoga. Or the means of knowledge appeals predominantly to the rational-minded. Bhakti yoga, or the means of devotion, appeal to the one with a loving attitude. Raja yoga is meant for those fit for psychic control. While Karma yoga is meant for those who take up work without attachment to fruits as a spiritual discipline. Vivekananda also said that while each of these yogas is meant for different personality types, the idea is always a harmonious synthesis of four, of all four. All these books and many other writings are brought together in his so-called complete works. I place a link with this podcast where you can find it in English and download it for free. It's really wonderful to read. Personally, I find the explanation of Bhakti Yoga, or even better, Parabhakti of Swami Vivekananda, the most beautiful explanation of all. He states, Bhakti Yoga is the science of higher love. It shows us how to direct it. It shows us how to control it, how to manage it, how to use it, how to give it a new aim, as it were, and from it obtain the highest and most glorious results, and that is how to make it lead to spiritual blessedness. Bhakti Yoga does not say, give your family or mundane life up, it only says, love, love the highest. And everything low naturally falls off the Bhakti Yogi, because the object of of, whose love is the highest. Forms vanish, rituals fly away, books are superseded, images, temples, churches, religions, and sects, countries, nationalities, all these little limitations and bondages fall off by their own nature from him who knows this love of God. That is called Parabhakti and results in transcendent love for the highest, a principle that is also expressed by several western mystics. On July 4, 1902, Swami Vivekananda finally gave up his mortal coil and attained Mahasamadhi at Belurmath. Math. I hope you enjoyed this first English yoga philosophy podcast. Until next time.
0: thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and until the next one.